Welcome to episode number 29 of Off the Shelf. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Hello everyone, my name is Rod Bergen and we're delighted to have you with us today on Off the Shelf a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. We have now reached into over 100 countries with our podcast, and I want to welcome everyone who is listening wherever you may be in the world. Our interview today is with Sylvia Perkins. Used to be Sylvia Shippey many years ago before she was married. Sylvia comes from Michigan and grew up attending William Branham's services in Jeffersonville, Indiana, and also attended services at Lee Vale's church uh, growing up after William Branham's death. As a result, Sylvia has a unique perspective that very few have today. Welcome, Sylvia. So glad to be here. And uh, back with us is my good friend, Brian Lynch. Brian, we are really happy to have you back with us. I'm very glad to be back, Rod. Thanks. So let's get right into it. Sylvia, tell us about growing up in the message. You were, uh, were, did you grow up in Jeffersonville or did you move there at some point in time? Well, I grew up all over. (laughs) We followed William Branham's campaigns all across the country. We lived in Jeffersonville, we lived in Tucson, and we even lived in Prescott, Arizona in the park for a very short time. Oh my goodness, you lived in the famous trailer park. Yes, until... My dad told my mother, we are leaving here. He said, that Leo was a queer. That was what he said back then. (laughs) Wow. So it was pretty obvious even back then. Yeah, people knew what was going on. So you were in Jeffersonville, and then did you physically move, or did you move around in in a motorhome or a trailer, or? We had a truck and a pickup camper. I was an only child. Did you actually have a, a house that you lived in, or you just you just moved around and lived out of the pickup truck? Oh, we had a house here in Michigan, and then we had a house for a while in Arizona and also in Jeffersonville. So we kind of moved around between those places. So I know you used to play with Joseph. Tell us a little about that, because I think it will surprise people a bit. I guess the most surprising thing would be that when he was a little boy and I was a little girl before William Branham ever died, I used to go over to play with him at his house and would go in his room and we would watch a TV together that he had in his room with no censor over what we could or couldn't watch. (laughs) So you find that surprising, Brian? I do. That's that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just continue. I, I just found that amusing. <laughs> well, it, it really is. I mean, given the, the the standpoint that people have on 
uh, uh, TV and the message state, and that William Branham said himself, and that's where they're getting it from, that he actually allowed and not just allowed, but actually provided Joseph with a TV in his room. Yes, this was the one that was supposed to have come with their apartment, but (laughs) why was it left for his little boy to have control over? Yeah, instead of shooting it in the backyard, right? Yeah, Yeah. at the very least, put it in the closet. Yeah, so Sylvia, you obviously attended many of of William Branham's services as you were growing up. How many times do you think you were in service? I couldn't even begin to tell you. I, we, age five is when I came in and that was in 1961. And so between then and 1965, probably in three quarters of all the services that he preached. Wow. So you wouldn't have been able to be particularly cognizant of things at five years old, but by the time... No. By the time of William Branham's death in 1965, you were, what, nine or ten? I was almost ten. I know you had mentioned that you actually were in an interview with William Branham. How do, Give us the background for that. Well, to kind of weed up to it, we followed him around. When I got old enough, I was very, very much brainwashed and under extreme mind control by a religious and mentally ill mother. So I knew the message forwards and backwards. I had to hear at least one, if not two or more, tapes every day. That would have been on a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Yes, that would have been on the old reel-to-reel. Wow. Every sermon that he preached, we would get the tape in the mail about a week later. And so this was right up as he preached them. And I knew what was going on by the time I was nine, pretty much all the way. I, us younger group of children that were, you know, past the age of needing their mother, but still young, would be set up on the front altar rail of the tabernacle when um, the the church was so packed full there were not many seats. And as that was the case, I could pretty much see everything that was going on during the service. And I used to tell my husband, if most people today in the message could actually see and have been in a meeting, they probably would leave because it was pretty obvious to me as a child that something was going on up there that wasn't just right. When the time for the healing services would come, Billy Paul would be out there giving, the best I can say, papers. I don't know what they had on them. I had an idea, but I don't really know, to his dad and whispering a lot to him behind his hand and kind of from a few steps away where the microphone wouldn't quite pick it up. And so I knew something funny was going on. And I used to pray and pray, oh, God, let me see the angel of the Lord, because I felt that (laughs) that would kind of vindicate that everything was right with the message, because he talked about it all the time. He'd say, can't you see that light, and can't you see the angel? And (laughs) I never could see it. And as I got older, I knew there was a big setup, because... (laughs) 
most of the people that got called out in the discernment were actually people he did know, even though he would say, I don't know you. My mother was called out, and um, he knew her, of course, and before that she had gotten a prayer card from Billy Paul and written on it, which her problem was female trouble. And when he started calling out, I had seen Billy Paul walk right up to him just a minute before he started the calling out, and my mother was about the second one I think he called out, and he said, you know, from Michigan and female trouble and this and that. Well, she went on and praised the Lord that she was healed, but the fact is I lived with her, and I know she never was healed, and in the end, she finally died of female trouble. Wow. So... And then we knew a lot of other people that were called out, and we never knew one of them actually got healed, although they were called out. You never saw anyone get healed. I never saw one miracle. And that included people who William Branham said were healed. That's right. Now, he told my mother. My mother had polio as a young girl, and as a result, one of her feet was withered and smaller than the other. And she went to him believing she was going to get a new foot. And he told her absolutely, thus saith the Lord, you have that new foot. And sad to say, she died and never did happen. So, Sylvia, how many people were attending the services in in Branham Tabernacle at the time. So when you were there, I mean, this was right at the, when you were kind of really aware it was going on, you were nine years old, looking around and being aware of what was happening. How many people would have been in the services? They were absolutely packed. So, but that was... against the walls. Yeah, but this was in the church. How many people would the church hold? It's not that many people, know, right? maybe... No, I would say most, maybe at the very most 500, but I doubt that. So when, when we're saying we got a humongous crowd, people lining the walls, the church only held about at max 500 people. I mean, I've been at the church. Well, max, probably, yeah, yeah, probably at the max 400. And it may have been because we kids would sit on the altar rail and people would stand around the wall. So maybe 500. But that's not a lot of people. That's not a lot of followers. I've been in the church. And when I first went in it, I, I was shocked at how small it was. This is not a yeah, big church. Yeah. And it was even a little smaller at that when I first started going before they remodeled it. So going back, you had the opportunity to be interviewed by William Branham. Tell us about that. Yes, my mother had had one first, an interview first, and he did, not only did he not discern what she came in for, but finally out of desperation she told him, and then he had no good advice for her at all about it. So she was kind of depressed about that. And so I had all these questions, and probably pretty precocious for my age, but I was having a lot of issues, and my mother wanted me to have an interview with him. And when she did, I made up my mind that I was going to make up a good story and give him. You were going to lie to him. And that's exactly what I, well, yeah, I, I made up a story. And So how did that go? 
not very well. Not only did he not catch it, but he went with the lie and ran with it. He, With that story I told, he just went and embellished on it, and he had me being a prophetess before it was all over with. <laughs> so he told you that you were going to be a prophetess or you were a prophetess? Yes, he did. Sylvia, he I, I was like Miriam in the Bible, but of course I never believed it because I knew that I had made a big story up. And I was, I should add that I was deathly afraid to tell anyone. I never even told my mother that I did. Sylvia, speaking of yeah. being afraid, were you not uh, at all afraid to do that in the beginning? I've heard, you know, William Brenham many times you know, warn the the congregations about, you know, coming against the prophet. And we know the story of the man from Windsor uh, that he repeated several versions of. So did that not have any impact? You had seen enough by that time that that just had no impact on you? Well, it did, because he would always tell us to bow our head and, you know, before he started the prayer line so that, you know, no evil spirits would jump on us. Well, I had not bowed my head and not closed my eyes enough to know that no evil spirit ever jumped on me. Yeah. You know? Well, kids are kind of like that. Yeah. Right. And so I was yeah, and so I was not, I mean, yes, I was afraid, in the sense I was afraid of telling anyone that I actually came against him, even sure. in my heart. And that fear probably ruled my life for a good part of 50 years. Wow. Everything I would think, I would feel condemned, because I was not only believing, and I needed to just put it on the shelf. And... If I didn't, you know, I could be blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And that was a very real fear for me and for most message people that I knew in my circle. And which that, is probably why I didn't leave sooner than I did. Now, Sylvia, you would have been quite young when the church ages were spoken. But you're obviously aware of of what William Branham had said. And, and I'm going to quote him now. Uh, this is from sermon he preached in 1964 in, on January the 12th called Shalom. He said, the strange thing on the last day when the last church age was drawn out, this great pillar of fire, which is among us, came down among hundreds of people and took itself back to the back wall in the tabernacle and there before these hundreds drawed those church ages darkening and lighting just exactly the way I had it drawed on the board mysteriously. What did people who were attending Branham Tabernacle at the time say about that? Except for a few hysterical women, everyone seemed to come to the consensus that it was nothing more than a car turning the corner and the lights reflecting on the back wall. Yeah, and I have heard that before. So there were a few hysterical women who started screaming and saying that they'd seen something, but most other people uh, really discounted it as being some hysterical women. Yes. But William Branham jumped on it right away. Oh, of course, anything like that. You know, you were talking about the cloud not long ago, and I should mention to you that I remember when the seals were preached, and we were in Arizona at the time that happened. We were good friends with Gene Norman and Fred Softman. Nothing was ever mentioned to us about any cloud or anything else and the first we ever heard of it was in may when william branham told about the article in the life magazine yeah and that would go right along with what 
appears to have happened. It just, they saw the picture and they made up a big story about it. Yeah, so because Fre- we never heard a thing before that. So Fred Sothman and Roy Borders, you knew them. What was their view of William Branham? Well, actually, I would have to say they believed he was Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and certainly and there the are flesh. there's evidence of that. Um, if you go on, sure. on YouTube, you can listen to some watch some pretty pretty crazy videos where it's quite clear that Fred Sothman thought he was he was God in flesh. Yeah, and they would do anything they could to keep that pretense up in front of other people. In the message, it was absolutely back at the time when he was alive. We all knew there was a lot of lying going on. But people just accepted it? it? It was kept up because we did not want to make the prophet look bad. Really? Wow. And so... My mother was a horrible liar. I knew all kinds of things going on, and to prove that point, years later, the first message church my husband and I were in after we were married, it was discovered that the preacher was molesting. And we went directly to Billy Paul and talked to him in his office about it, because we thought perhaps, you know, something should be done about this guy. Perhaps, yeah. (laughs) And, And he told us, listen, he said, don't you ever say a word about it to anyone, because if you do, it will make the message look bad. So making the message look good was much more important than the truth. Yes, that was always the way it was. That's uh, that's very disturbing. Now, now I don't know so much that it is, but back when he was still alive, that was, you know, anybody said anything they had to to make Brother Branham look good. And, and of course, I've seen the abuse of sexual abuse of minors being covered up in a message church. I uh, discovered that myself yep. and tried to bring it to the surface and it was met with a lot of pushback and denial and in the end that's what caused me to leave the church that we were in because people were not interested in what was correct and what was right but they were interested in protecting the minister and the ministry and that was what was of overall importance and not the truth which is very sad it certainly is, and it was always that way. So, Sylvia, uh, looking back at what what all you saw, as, even as a child, and and clearly you had figured some things out by the uh, by the end of William Branham's ministry. Uh, going into adulthood, I, mean, I think you've kind of hit on why you chose to stay in the message, even after seeing what you did. Uh, so after all of those years, uh, what started your, your journey out of the message? Well, we were kind of, we went to Lee Vale's church for 18 years. And during that time, he basically repeated over and over to everyone that he never saw any miracles in William Branham's meetings except one. And that was where he saw a microphone cord wrapped around his legs and then suddenly it wasn't wrapped around anymore. So that's not much of a miracle. No, but, he may just have missed seeing William Branham step out of yes. it. Yes. 
yes. <laughs> and he would, you know, relate that to us. And we went there 18 years until he told us, <laughs> you burn all your stuff and move down here to my church. By burning stuff, he meant William Branham stuff? No, he meant our home. Oh, and our oh your belongings. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, really? He told you to burn <laughs> your possessions? Pretty radical. Wow. Yes, he did. <laughs> and that kind of propelled us away from him real quick, like, after 18 years. And so um, from then on, we um, just kind of started going to different message churches, trying to find someplace because. Every message church had a different agenda and preached a little different flavor of the message. Sure. Uh, going back, Sylvia, I just want to cover one other thing, and that is, so, you know, we hear people say that when William Branham was here, no one dared challenge him. But that's not really a valid point if... In fact, he was surrounded by people who would even lie to cover up something that might make him look bad. And so in those kind of environments, somebody who actually knew that something haywire was going on probably would just leave rather than they certainly wouldn't stand up and challenge William Branham because they, they <laughs> I mean, situations like that, you wouldn't feel particularly safe. Um, Well, no, he had people that would, you know, there were people that would come around and make sure you didn't and that you were talking right and doing right and all that. If you dared say a word, you'd know you would have been out on your ear and probably in serious trouble. So they didn't tolerate anyone who disagreed with William Branham? No, they didn't. And if you disagreed, you went quietly away and never spoke about it again. Yeah, and that that certainly raises the problem that we have today with people stating, when William Brown was here, nobody dared challenge him. That's not the truth. The people that would have challenged no, him just left and left quietly. We're going to end the interview there for this week, but please come back next week for part two of our interview with Sylvia Perkins. If you have any questions, please leave them for us on the website, at offtheshelf.life or send an email to Brian, spelled with a Y, at offtheshelf.life or to me at rod at offtheshelf.life. Thanks for listening. Please let us know if you're enjoying these podcasts. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secure.